Welcome to the Morpher Tours podcast, a new show that features conversations with tour managers, music entrepreneurs, and entertainment industry leaders. My name is Nicole Heller. I'm a music industry student studying in Australia and the U.S. with a plan to connect you to music professionals. This podcast will give you life-changing advice to help you enhance your career and live music events and touring. Please follow, subscribe, and share for weekly updates. Our amazing guest today is Eva from Feta Booking. Feta Booking is a North America-based boutique booking agency and management firm. Founded in 1996 by Eva Lexio Rio, Feta has worked with and exponentially grown the careers of credible artists such as Jimmy Eat World, Hot Water Music, Flogging Molly, Elliot, May, Rusted Root, Nick Lars, The Blood Brothers, Pretty Girls Make Graves, and many more. Their goal is to help their talented clients continue to inspire, create, and grow through touring. All right. Hi, Eva. Welcome to the More for Tours podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Would you like to introduce yourself, your full name, and what you do in the music industry? Well, my name is Eva Alexia Rio. I am the founder and owner of Beta Booking Agency, which is a now Philadelphia-based agency um, for the past 20 years. And uh, we also have a sister um, branch on the company that is management and music consultant, and that's been open for 10 years. And uh, we just had our 25th anniversary of the company. So that's our company, Fata Booking. Yeah. Congrats. That's so exciting. How did you start Fata? What provoked you to begin in booking and management? Um, I think that the word provoked was an accurate word um, on how I got started because uh, I had absolutely no intention of working in the music industry or any interest in, um, being in the, I don't even think I knew what a booking agent was. Um, I mean, full hardly because I knew what they were loosely. Um, I, I mean, I went to shows like a lot of kids did, um, who work in the music industry that are you know, mostly in bands, but a lot of them, um, are on the industry side of things as well. I was, um, one of the kids that booked the local shows in the area that we grew up in, which was Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Um, and through booking shows, I met bands. I knew a lot of bands. I started meeting people like Kevin Lyman of Warped Tour and <clears throat> people at labels that were trying to get their area, their bands into these secondary markets. And through that, I met a band called Hot Water Music that I became really good friends with. Um, they were on Doghouse at the time, uh, and their career, they, they grew substantially and were on other labels as well. But our friendship grew into this like very loose agreement that they needed help booking tours. And somehow I offered to help them. I think, <laughs> I think it went, I think it went somewhat like that. And, um, I started my first year of college and I was, I, so beta started February, my senior year of high school. Um, and then I went to college and I was basically in college working at the radio station and booking tours for hot water music. And then at the time that scene was so 
you know, everyone knew each other that uh, eventually they would say, oh yeah, you should meet our friends in the, in the band Elliot. They're super great. And they could probably use your help too. Met them, um, start working for them, met Jimmy world, started working for Jimmy world. Um, and that's how Feta was born essentially. And I was really lucky to have met Kevin Lyman, um, and Tim Bohr when I did. Tim Bohr is another booking agent. Kevin Lyman is uh, the owner of Orfini um, and his other um, <laughs> many endeavors. I mean, he, he has a new company the past few years, uh, KL Group, which does a lot of branding, but he is very well known for the Warp Tour, obviously. And at the time, he was also a manager, which he is no longer. And managers back then, this is around 96. Nine, yeah, around 96. He, they, um, they called all the radio stations. That was just a part of their, their management routines. And, um, he called the radio station I worked at and, and somehow I got hot water on warp tour. And through that process of talking to him about management and getting hot water music on warp tour, who was growing quite fast and, and, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, Kevin, pretty much spotted that immediately you need to find a name for your company and and you need to know what a, an input list is and a manifest and a stage plot and a contract and how to route a tour and so I was really fortunate because between him and Tim Bohr I would be on the phone I'm like I don't know what I'm doing so um that was the birth of Feta it, it really wasn't like a thought out thing I'm not I went to school for psychology I finished my schooling in psychology I <clears throat> I've been an agent for 25 years and I love it, but I also wear multiple hats because I love management. So I, which isn't that it's funny. Kevin Lyman is another person like halfway into my career kept saying, you should just become a manager. You're more like a manager anyways. So it's, it, he's always been influential in my decision-making and um, yeah, I became a, a part-time professor around I was consistent for eight years and I took a little bit of a break and now I'm back in it so the music industry for me um wasn't like a planned thing I guess to confirm that but definitely that was my intro to it right there in that shell definitely and what are some of the things you wish you knew back when you started on projects with Kevin and Tim and Hot Water any specifics I wish I knew everything I teach my students. Um, I mean, I think that the, the, the ability to have all that knowledge before starting to work for a client is priceless. Um, you fall on your face less. I mean, you do fall on your face. I and mean, there's things that my students had to learn that they had learning curves, but they never had to learn that things were... I, I, I didn't know why that was that way. Or, and I also didn't really think it was so important to be professional. Not that I was like doing things quote unquote unprofessional because, you know, I, I came from a scene that hold held a lot of uh, value in um, the things they aligned themselves with. I wasn't running around acting like I wasn't holding my position uh, on important value, I just didn't realize how important it was to have these minor details and things and how to 
um, take the time to, to, to make things right. Um, and to, I was always accessible, but I meant like be so, um, fearless and, and that's something I learned, you know? And I think that's still stuff that students have to learn. I think when you're negotiating money, you have to learn to be able to, um, ask for things with competence and be sure of yourself and to project and manifest all of that certainty within your own right, you know? But I really wish I came out of, I wish I had the college classes that they have now because, you know, I, I teach my students how to route a tour. <laughs> like I teach my students how to make contracts and how to negotiate deals and what the deals are and all of that stuff I had to learn. And I, I hated having to learn it while I had to, uh, while other people depended on me because I knew that other people depended on me doing it right. So, yes. Experience is great. It definitely helps a ton when you're starting out for sure. It's, it's hard. I think, especially as a young woman, when you're dealing in it with an industry where there's so many men in executive positions or you're trying to negotiate something and you don't really have, I guess, someone who's coming from your perspective, doing that with you and you're doing it on your own. Yeah. When it comes down to it, you yes. still have to do things on your own, no matter what job you're in. It's obviously collaborative, but you still have to hold your ground. And that's hard. I think for, and really for anyone, no matter who you are, it's hard. But I think that's great that you had that experience. But I think when you teach now, I'm sure coming from a really personal standpoint where it was, uh, you know, just you learning from the ground up, I think that makes your educational environment now a lot more unique and probably has a lot of really strong foundations in it. What kind of advice would you give to high schoolers or students in college or this age group who are young entrepreneurs in entertainment? That's a really good question. Um, but to take a step back before I answer that question, the you said as a young woman, um, that hits uh, close to home for me because um, there were hurdles being a young woman in the music industry and are still, but um, not, you know, they're leaps and bounds worse uh, 25 years ago. With that being said, I, it would have been nice um, to also have a female mentor um, at the time, though I feel like um, the females that work in my generation and age group are much different than the ones that are younger coming up now. There's so much more empowerment versus this like being taught to bid against each other and to, you know, this like the cattiness which I don't endorse. I, I understand that I was raised in a generation where that was very common. And I know that it's still common. I know that women are trying very desperately to break down those very horrible glass ceilings amongst each other. Um, I just never, I do not endorse and never have endorsed treating other women poorly to make myself, um, feel to make myself unattainable to be helpful so with that you know that kind of leads into my your next question about uh, entrepreneurship um i i think it's really important that younger um future music industry professionals start in high school 
start in college, start when they have a little bit better of a foundation, be resilient, be ambitious, fall on your face. That's fine. You know, like, um, have fun with it. Start with a friend's band, you know, like I'm so unbelievably grateful that I got to work for so many, all the bands that I've ever worked for. I'm very grateful for every single one of those experiences. I think that experience that presented to you so you can have them and whatever you come, whatever comes from them, you just, um, you do come out the other side and what you take, what you, you liked out of those experiences and you change what you didn't like. So, but, but starting with hot water and Elliot was like, um, just, it was like a, a very, like, it sounds so cheesy. It's so blossoming. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I always hung out with a, a, a big group of friends. They're primarily boys. They're primarily skateboarders. We had a close knit of, uh, a few females, um, we're still friends up to date, that whole group of friends and going into spending time with these guys on tour for me was just priceless because they became like brothers and I worked for them for like 10 years. And, um, you know, we, we, we I just, it was like, it was like being around, uh, like your closest friends, but them being boys. <laughs> so you so like it was a completely different experience and, you know, being in, in all these different States with each other. Um, and I think if I didn't start so young and I started in a corporate environment, I wouldn't have had those joyful experiences. not saying that the bigger experience are not joyful because there's nothing more amazing than seeing your artist, you know, in front of thousands and thousands of people on a big stage where the sound feels big and the lighting is big, but there's also like something truly amazing about being in a smelly van or an RV where the the toilet's overflowing and you're stuck on the Arizona highway in the desert and, you know, like going to a basement show that the guys in Thursday are throwing, you know, like it's, I wouldn't trade anything for that time period. So I always encourage, and my office has young staff um, and Chris comes from the touring side and Kalani comes from the touring side. And I just think that's what you need to be doing when you're young, because eventually you're not, it's not going to be like a fun atmosphere where you're experiencing these things. Like there's a true value in the sentiment enjoy things while you're young and it's not that you're not enjoying things when you're older you're just enjoying them differently in a way where you don't want to you have a different expectation of what you enjoy and what you don't and that even goes for bands like bands aren't sleeping on floors or staying up till five in the morning that are in their 30s and late 30s and 40s or mid 30s they're doing that in their 20s and so all those experiences are the experiences that make you the Dave Grohl stories that you want to hear when he's talking about road dogging it, because, um, you can't make that up. Like you can't make up half the stuff you see on the road. Um, and yeah, so I, I, my, my entrepreneurial advice is, you know, you got to work through your fears. Like we're all human. We have fears. Like, like, you know, we could, we can feel taken care of and we can feel I can, you know, like I can achieve everything with ease and confidence, but that's, um, 
that's a conscious teaching that you're working through with yourself and you get there, but you, you have to get there while doing things. So you can't just feel like it's going to happen. Like you have to just like go against the grain and force yourself out of that comfort zone and just say, okay, well, I'm going to do this, you know? And I remember feeling so, um, determined when I was younger and I was even probably borderline cocky because I was, I was like, I'm going to do this (laughs) no matter what. And it was hard because you have to deal with people that doubt you, um, a lot. And sometimes those people are in your circle. Um, it was really hard for me in the beginning with some of my own friends. Um, it was also hard for me with some of the friends that were friends with the bands I worked for. Um, there was also, you know, the, the mean girl stuff or the, the assumption stuff, like, you know, like back then, and I, I'm sure it happens now still. It's like you, you meet someone in a band and you say that you're with that band and they assume that you're sleeping with them. Like a lot of things that I had to work through psychologically. Um, wow. I was trying to be an entrepreneur, which at the time I didn't think I was being an entrepreneur. I thought that I was just doing something. And I really just grounded myself in a way where I was like, don't blink. Don't think twice about this. Like, I don't, I don't care if that girl's not talking to me and she's the photographer for the band. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm, I really worked so hard on staying focused Um, and I think that's really important for any young, um, professional to do is just to not get distracted by the noise around you, but to, to set that goal and that intention and see yourself achieving it and get there. And it's ironic because it's the noisiest industry really to be in music. So it's like trying to constantly block away that sound emotionally and mentally even is it's hard it's really tricky I was speaking to a producer and he was the other day and he was just telling me how um he didn't want people to assume that he was doing something for a monetary conversation and I just said to him like well people assume whatever they want all the time like there's there's like always going to be someone saying something like it's it's like it doesn't matter. They're always going to say something, you know, it's like, um, it's like, I'm sure you've heard this one as a woman, like you, you never could be, you know, you always hear something on like the way you look like you're either too skinny or you're not skinny enough, or you don't, you're not dressing. Like, you know, there's always something. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can't please everyone. So like, I think the sooner you accept that and you have like this, like, I just have to block it out mentality then you don't get charged by people because when you get charged by people, you're distracted. So it's all about just like honing in. It doesn't mean you can't appreciate the, the, re- the recklessness of, uh, of the, the, uh, the noise around you, but it just don't, don't, you know, endorse it and let it become a part of your narrative. Totally. And speaking on wellness, how do you clear your mind or stay focused for your own mental health, whether it's while you're in the office or on the road? How does that typically 
pan out for you? So I'm a big uh, endorser of um, gratitude. That helps me a lot. I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm an avid runner. I I run um, every other day, and I do yoga every single day. And I wake up in the morning, and I before my kids do, before I have distractions, and I just go down a list of all the things I'm grateful for, and not like a like in a religious way because I'm not really into organized religion, um, but more in a way where. I remind myself to stay focused on, on the things that um, I'm doing and the things I'm super happy about um, and the things that make me, uh, you know, able to do what I'm doing, but the people that also believe in what I'm doing. And then, you know, so I have a, a laundry list of my gratitudes. I mean, down to my, down to the obvious ones, like my, my a family. And then I'm like pinpointing like the dog, <laughs> like the fact that I can, you know, have nourishing food available for people. So when I hear myself, that's a part of my, my practice. Like I wake up, I say the things I'm grateful for. I affirm the things that I would like to see um, my achievements achieve. And then I, in some time when I could between my children's virtual school, because this year is an abnormal year, obviously um, I wake up and I take my, I, after I'm done with that, I take my kids on the walk in the morning before their virtual school. So they can just get some birds and mother nature. And then I dive into it. So that's my, my, uh, the way I practice staying at center, I guess, but I used to get really charged by people. I used to get charged by people before, um, probably before the 2009 recession, the, the um, mortgage crisis. And um, I think when things started coming back and I almost lost the company and I was pregnant with my first daughter, my first child, my daughter. And um, I think that I just realized that like I lost so much of my past by getting charged by people. And I was falling into this nook where if people are able to affect me in such a negative way, where it ruins my entire day, like then I needed to like refocus and re redirect that feeling because I can't own that. Like that has to stay with them. Like I can't, I can't walk with that kind of feeling. And so I started changing things that, we're kind of always a part of who I was in my upbringing. I mean, my mother is a, a holistic counselor, so it was already part of my upbringing. Um, but um, I just set it in stone. I'm like, this is done. We're not, we're not, we're not getting charged by other people. Um, because even if I was, if I was able to like shut down a, the situation so well or take charge of it or I won, quote unquote, like I still felt like crap. And so I was like, why do I want to feel this way? Like, I want to be around the best version of my own self. I want to have the best people, you know, that make, I want to belly laugh. Like, I don't want to feel angry. Like, I want to like, like feel um, joy and just like silliness. And, and, you know, I want to, I want to laugh over like, you know, 
someone walking across the room and doing something funny. So I just, for me, I had to like, I had to just make sure that I could focus on, um, that best outcome for myself because it really, at the end of the day, hurt me. People don't, you know, that's, that's something that even as a parent, I try to teach my own children right now. And I also teach this in my classes with my students. I'm like, you got to leave people's problems with them. Like you can't take ownership of people's crappiness. You know, people want to be a certain way and people want to argue and bark and that used to work in our industry. That's fine. Um, but at, at one point you have to be able to settle your own feelings and know what you want for yourself. Yeah. I feel like that's the key for so much of it. And since so much of the industry is built around ideas of not being empathetic and kind, it's tricky to, again, hold your ground and find that within yourself and that bravery to just not take things personally because there's so many different personalities and energies that you can come across in one given day. But just to kind of say that this isn't a personal attack, this is just something that they're dealing with or is part of their life journey and staying clear on your path and your purpose is is really key because it's just sometimes you are thrown across different circumstances and you just have to stay strong. So it's really good to hear that you have that perspective of just staying clear and having gratitude along the way. How would you say you've created, on another note, um, more comfort in that sense, but not just for yourself, but in something related to live events like a booking agency and managing artists? How do you create the feeling of a home away from home for them? Um, I that's a good question because this is like an internal battle I've always had. Um, I think since I worked for Jimmy world because I worked the clarity record and that was a very big record. And I had to learn how to do very big things at a very young age, with very fast <laughs> with, with no office support. So I internally always battle on um, how much <clears throat> personal, uh, connection I have with my artists because I started Fado based on the personal personal connections but obviously it's a business so yeah the personal connection is just a very difficult for me it's always been a very difficult um personal dilemma that I've had um on how I <clears throat> would like to be with my artists because Fada is a company that did start from friendship, um, though it's a business. And um, that became very clear when I was working with Jimmy World um, on their Clarity record, which I was very young. Um, and I started realizing that this is not friendship. <laughs> this, is, this is actually a business. You know, after all the years I worked for <clears throat> Hot Water, uh, six months before they broke up, they actually they actually let me go. They, they brought in a manager that thought it was a really good idea for them to be at a corporation and bigger firm. And at that moment in my career, I just remember being like, I remember saying things d during my career that like, oh, when Hot Water is done being a band, um, that will be when I stop Fada, right? But then I, I was at that window and I was at that, that door and I just remember thinking, 
they don't define me. They don't define who I am. And I remember that was a hard thing with some of them because I, I, I was very personally hurt and I didn't want to associate myself with them anymore. And that's always been a very hard dilemma. It's something I really wish I was better at. Um, basically not holding it again. Someone, if something doesn't work out because there's artists I work for and I have worked for that. I'm like, this doesn't actually work. This isn't something I enjoy doing. You know what I mean? And so, and because I, I really need to hold a professional demeanor. I don't let them go. Um, but if something isn't working, it's, it, 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 there sometimes needs to be a change, you know? I mean, uh, so yes, I can't really answer that because I'm still trying to figure that one out. But what I do, I think what really ends up happening to be honest with you, Nicole, is I treat all of our bands like they're like my, like my babies. <laughs> so I'm very nurturing and I'm very, uh, I'm very personal and I'm very communicative um, and so are other people at FADA that work, work at, within our company. And, you know, um, we do have a kind of family vibe, you know, it's, it's definitely something that I don't like to say because I'm sure it sounds very cliche ish, but it, it is like we, my husband was in a touring band for a long time and I've been on tour and Klein's been on tour and Chris has been on tour. And it's, I never had to make that decision to, uh, leave for months and months at a time of every single thing that I'm used to. My husband has, and I know that there's a lot of personal dilemma on their side that comes with that and, and people and things that they love, they leave. So I, I try to, I try to give a little love in, you know, we send, I like to send cakes on birthdays to clubs and, you know, things like that. I fight. I definitely still something I fight with where I'm like, should I just be all business? I'm not good at being all business. I'm better being like <laughs> sarcastic and lovey and chummy, you know, than all business. And I'm, and I'm good at being a business, I'm, I, but I have to add those personal traits in as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think that's what makes it so nice. It definitely makes you stand out from other people, and it's it's really sweet to hear that. How would you summarize, just in general, for people don't, who don't know what exactly a booking agency does, what a day in the life looks like for you? Well, so pre-pandemic, um, as an agent, is really, uh, you know, a lot of um, a lot of planning, a lot of talking. So if I have on a normal basis, I have like, you know, 10 tours maybe being worked on. So we're booking the tours, we're negotiating the money, we're dealing with the paperwork, we're going through all and all and all that stuff. Um, but you're on, you're, it's a lot of relationship building too. Like you're always fostering your relationships and you're always talking to the people that you work for um, <clears throat> often. And um you know, I, I being the owner of FEDA, I'm always trying to be helpful to the other people who are at FEDA and their clients. And, you know, dealing with clients on their wishes is a lot of times um, something that I have to spend time to really uh, navigate and um, to help them understand where they are, help us understand where they want to get. Um, 
and yeah, it's, it's kind of like a lot of everything. Um, I mean, just routing a tour, um, which I can do with my eyes closed and routing, I've been routing tours since I was 18. Um, but making sure it works with all of the other variables, like is the band getting radio? Like we have our band weathers coming up, um, in the fall right now has a tour set, but they're also charting at radio. So I have to work with the radio people and management to know all the parameters and everything that needs to be in that tour. So it's like, what market? Okay. Scranton. Like we didn't intend to hit Scranton. So now I have to fit Scranton in there somehow because the radio station Scranton is putting them on 15 times a day. You know what I'm saying? Like with Travis, you know, city, Michigan, where I'm like, where, you know, I, where's Travis city? Like I have to find them now. There's actually cities with really good radio stations and I've never been to that market, you know? So it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of uh, communication. It's a lot of strategizing with the management and the team. And it's taking everyone's wishes into consideration. Like some of our artists will be like, we don't want to play more than three days in a row. That's a whole nother bucket of challenges. Cause I'm like, well, we just lost seven Fridays on the tour, you know? So it's always just diving into that. Um, it's, uh, there's the email uh, culture really um, changed the game for us a lot in a good way, but also in a really bad way because now we're like, managing emails while talking on the phone and it's just kind of crazy and then people now are like on whatsapp and text and instant you know instagram messages and i'm like oh my god i have to check all these for students who are interested in approaching an unsigned artist uh do you think there's certain things that they should look for um or certain things that stand out when you're beginning and you're trying to build those relationships initially for me, when it comes to picking up artists, it has to be music driven. Um, like for example, I just picked up Whitehall. Whitehall only has like 2000 Instagram followers, but I'm and uh, very, you know, m- modest streams, but I'm so excited about them. Like I just think they're such a rad band. So for me, it's, it's very music based. I mean, I do pick up things that are not music based for the company, but for me, to work it, it has to be music-based, which is also, you know, there's like a joke in the music industry. Like when you work for the things you love, you actually don't have a career, <laughs> but I don't know if that's actually hundred percent true, but it's, it's often, it's oftenly said, like if we all work for our favorite bands. Yeah. That's, that's my main, that's all about the music for me. It has to, it has to, it has to hit me. And then I get excited. Then I get like obsessed. Like I play it like 500 times and and then I can't play it for like another month. And two, just sort of looking at the future post-pandemic and even now some actionable things we can do, whether it's through activism or envisioning the future. From what I've read about you, it, you're definitely active in making change and stuff like that, which is really great. What are some things that would make an ideal music industry um, moving forward this year? Music industry is, has a bad habit of, of not being... Uh, very collaborative outside of their circles. Um, that sounds so funny. It's like, music industry has a bad habit of not being very nice. It's like, I don't have my big kid pants on or something, but it's true. Like it's an industry that, um, there's a lot of mean spiritness hanging around here. It's all. So I, 
I would love for people moving forward to do things with people and not view it as a charity. I think um, there's a, a nice way of taking the time to hear what people are doing and see if things can be done together. Um, I feel very fortunate about my relationships and I've been guilty of like, you know, having to end conversations with people, um, that don't resonate necessarily with my musical taste that want to keep talking to me about how I can help them. Um, but I would love to see my, like more peers, um, just, you know, being more collaborative with each other. For me, on the other side of things, like I, I really try to um, invest my time with groups that also need more help. So, you know, like the Philadelphia Rex thing that I'm doing, for example. Um, so it's not so much changing the music industry. I would like to see more people work collaborative. Um, but for me, the change comes on bigger playing fields being evened out. Definitely. And that's really nice to hear. And in terms of sort of just general things with music styles or inclusivity on that side of things in terms of like influences or sounds or music scenes, do you see anything emerging in the near future because of everyone kind of being locked in and, and writing and sort of having to use their own resources at this time? Do you see, because we talked um, on our last call a little bit about the Riot Girl movement and punk scene and stuff like that. Do you think there's a chance that something like that could take off again? Maybe it's through activism or maybe it's through um, just different sort of internet resources. Do you think that will take shape soon? Yeah, I mean, I think that the cool thing about the pandemic has definitely allowed me to um, to notice different movements and sounds that might have been there before, but maybe um, I was too preoccupied with other things to take notice of it, which I think is a lot of people's problem because, you know, we there's a lot of noise. Like you, you have all these artists that you're working for that are busy and people putting out records and people you're always talking to, you're talking to, and you have your, you know, all of your responsibilities. So I think that the cool thing about pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of more of the female artists coming out and working. I, I feel like there's so many artists that were not working prior to this on a higher capacity and they're there now. And that to me is dope. I think it's awesome. I'm super razzed up about it. I think it's rad. So um, I'm really into that um, coming out of this. Uh, I really want to hear new music and see new music get big. I, I kind of, you know, feel like it's time to have some more fresh blood get into the pool. Since your parents moved to PA and you've been a huge part of the Philly music scene, what is important about it? to you what really would you say is a fond memory or something special about the local music scene here it's funny I I don't know how much of a huge part of the Philly scene I really am because 
I live here and I feel like when I live here, I'm like a nerd. Like I don't do anything. When I moved here from New York, I, you know, I, uh, I have like the fondest Philly memories. Like Feta in time uh, grew. Um, Avange Lavanas, who's a manager, she worked at Feta for five years. And I think she and I were at like every show that you could think of during those years. But, you know... I really loved going to the R5 shows. I liked being in the church and I liked being, um, you know, seeing my favorite bands hit the church. And I really, really thought that Sean Agnew really did do some wicked cool stuff that we got to be a part of, or we got to go and witness. I think the making times were super fun, um, which we were, you know, we were, we were there when they started because that's our, you know, that's the, that's how long ago they started at this point. Um, and so they were super fun. And I, I just feel like the Philadelphia scene is kind of hard to nail down on the musical side of it because there are really cool bands in Philadelphia. When I moved here, the only, I only knew bands. I actually didn't know people out of bands. I only knew, I knew the Ink and Dagger people and I knew the Franklin people and I knew, you know, all the bands, not counting the really big ones that were mainstream, like, you know, G Love and Special Sauce. Um, but it had this like really, really cool vibe. These bands that worked all the time and played all the time. It was super fun. And we got to watch bands like The Strokes um, grow in Philly and become The Strokes. And, you know, seeing bands like My Morning Jacket in front of 50 people, but like seeing the local scene, Philadelphia has always pumped out great music. Um, so I think that in time, I didn't have my ear to the ground in Philadelphia as much as I wanted to. Chris and Kalani always do. They all, they know every Philly band. Um, I'm 43. I got tired uh, to go tired to go out. I'm like nine o'clock, go to bed. I shared an office space with two people who I find very important to the Philadelphia scene, which is John Hampton. Um, from Live Nation, but he was the sole promoter for the Trocadero for uh, before I moved to Philadelphia. Um, and Brian Dilworth, um, who sadly passed away uh, a year ago, probably this week, actually. Um, and he not only did all the shows in the area too, you know, he toured with like Rocket from the Crypt and he managed bands and so I feel like I was really lucky um, to know and be a part of like the going out scene where the R5 people were doing the making time and going to their shows and the Sean Agnews and stuff like that. But then I feel really lucky that I was um, able to share a space with these two super important people to the Philadelphia scene, because even though they're not a band, they are the people that bring the bands. And um, yeah. I wasn't too much into the house scene in Philadelphia. I was in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where I went to college. Like I, that, that was more my culture and time period then. Um, but uh, being in Philly was just, just as a great scene. It was super fun. And of course, Tattooed Moms. Every show, you have to go to Tattooed Moms afterwards. It's like a moral imperative. You go to a show, you go to Moms. That's how it works. That's awesome. Do you have any closing remarks uh, and information on where people can find you and your company? This was, by the way, such a great talk. So I feel like so many people will be enlightened and really inspired. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, you can find me on all of the, the World Wide Web. You can find me on Instagram. I don't use Twitter. I have been on Clubhouse 
uh, a night called Pitch Perfect, which a few industry people host, and I am one of the the moderator people on there. One of the panelists, excuse me. And then there is some music industry panels. We just did a one on Monday, and I was a part of it with uh, some of the agents with CA William Morris. So that's also a cool place to find me and listen to some of the things we're talking about or ask me direct questions. I'm really good at my Instagram. I'm really good at replying to people there. Of course, my email. Um, but my closing thought on anything is like, whatever you're doing, whether you're a really big artist, whether you're, you know, torn in this past year of like, what am I doing with my life? Or, you know, like just starting it off, like anything you do, um, it, em, embrace it, you know, like you don't have to embrace the hustle. Like you just do what you do and you do it well and you do it right. And you do it with a focus and you do it with an intention to get where you want to get, but you also need to take care of yourself. So don't, don't embrace, don't embrace the hustle. Don't embrace the lack of sleep. Don't embrace the fact that you don't stop, stop, breathe. Um, look at someone that makes you smile and laugh with them, whether it's your, your BF or, you know, a partner or whatever, but definitely embrace you and the fact that if you fall and you feel uncertain, that's nothing abnormal. And it's totally something that is just a feeling and you can allow it to pass and then get back to it. Yeah. That's what I got for you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into this episode from the More for Tours podcast. Please subscribe to the channel and follow us on socials at More for Tours with the number four to stay updated. Leave a review on iTunes if you like the episode too. Enjoy the road.